But first today to some practical applications of the skills issues we discussed last week on Saturday Extra covering the Job Summit. Yes, we have record low unemployment levels, but the jobless rate in some disadvantaged suburbs sits at 30% and youth unemployment is still at 7%. So there's some renewed granular work underway within a range of groups trying to drill down more specifically into those areas where work isn't apparently flowing well. Take the charity The Smith Family. This week it launched a new five-year plan to reach deeper into the lives of children with persistent obstacles around work in their families. The charity aims to almost double the number of educational sponsorships it offers, plus it wants to boost those networks so vital to facilitating work entry. The CEO of The Smith Family uh, is Doug Taylor. Hello there, Doug. Uh, good morning, Geraldine. Look, I think this sponsorship program will be well known to many listeners, but just uh, just to set us up, how does the Your Learning for Life program work? Thanks, Geraldine. Well, yes, we are absolutely focused on addressing educational inequalities across Australia. And really, we're focused on doing three things with our Learning for Life program. We provide um, educational sponsorships and scholarships, as you've said, and those funds make an enormous difference to our students in terms of covering the costs of, you know, books, um, digital access, going to excursions and the like. Uh, the second thing that we do is provide support to parents. Many of the parents that we're supporting haven't had a great experience with education. And so the support we provide to them is to really enable them to support their children in navigating education systems and working with schools. And then the third thing we do is provide a range of educational mentoring programs in about 700 schools across the country. And they can include um, digital access programs, workplace visits, a raft of other mentoring supports. And this all started in the 80s, as I recall, when the Smith family sort of decided educational mm. support was, was the best way to alleviate poverty. That's right. That's right. Well, in fact, this year is our centenary year. So we're celebrating 100 years of the Smith family and our work has changed dramatically over time from providing a lot of welfare relief to a conversation that we had in the 80s with our families where we asked them, you know, how can we best support you? And consistently our families came back and said, uh, we need support uh, in supporting our children with their education. And so a small program in the 80s of supporting 60 uh, families has now grown to nearly 58,000 uh, children across the country. And as you've said, we've set a target now to get to 100,000 uh, families just because of the extent of, uh, of need in the Australian community. Do you know where the need is? Yeah, ab absolutely. And, that, and that's what we do. We, and through this strategy, we've really had a closer look at the communities. We've had a closer look at the 700 schools that we've been in for some time and validated they're, they're in the right communities. And our school partners are crystal clear on identifying the families in their school community that have the greatest need and referring them to, to, to work with us at the, at the Smith family. Uh, I actually had the um, luck to chair a big um, Catholic education conference this week, ah, and it became okay. quite plain to me, I have to say, because there was quite a lot of discussion about this, that it's actually the families <laughs> that need to be supported as much as the students. Um, and and it, the, the sort of sheer busyness of the families, and they, they're just so stretched that the idea of supporting their students to take up new technology, to um, take up opportunities, was obviously just too much for them. Mm. Now, mm. so how much do you actually go into the adults around these kids? That really hit me as quite a need. 
It's quite significant. And, you know, when we look at the profile of the families that we're supporting, uh, you know, across the community, they are grappling with significant life challenges at the one time. So all of our families are on low income. Um, 70% of our families um, uh, have parents or carers that are unemployed. One in three... 70%? 70%, that's right. Yeah, so really targeting... You know, our families, they want the absolute best for their children, but do grapple with a lot of challenges at once. One in three of them have a a child with a disability or a mental health issue. And as you just said, um, 15% of the households and families we're supporting don't have a digitally connected laptop. So it's a lot lot of life challenges at once that makes life very difficult uh, for our families. Uh, do, do you notice the other important question is evaluation? Do you notice, yes. genuinely, you want to notice it, but is it real? <laughs> the improvements yeah. for your students given uh, uh, your interventions? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the hallmarks of the Smith family since the 70s has been an absolute focus on, you know, research and validating our work and then changing course uh, when we think there's more work to be done. And so, in fact, uh, we've got a very strong what we call outcomes framework where we track school attendance for our students, uh, their their achievement, their completion through to year 12 and what life looks like for them post year 12. And so that really helps us work out you know, how we can improve our work. And so much of our focus, um, as I've said, is now on, on including digital inclusion uh, and access into our work because we believe that's one of the things that's going to make a bigger difference for our families. Well, dramatically so. I mean, that was the key message of Catherine Livingston, uh, the um, former head of the Commonwealth Bank, who was on our program last week, sort of just highlighting this lack of ability to look, to take up digital inclusion, particularly, I might add, in regional areas. This was a huge issue in regional areas. Now, um, how are you making sure that that isn't just words only and that people are Mm. taking that on? Yeah, and look, I think what's what's happened, particularly through COVID, I think we've just got a greater public consciousness now of the importance of digital inclusion with children doing remote learning. And, you know, imagine that in a household that doesn't have a device that's connected. I mean, you know, that has an enormous impact on a, a child's education such that when we look at the Grattan research, a child's lost up to a year of, uh, of education relative to their peers. So, so we've made a commitment in our strategy going forward that all of our children, young people will have will be digitally connected, uh, you know, to the internet and have a laptop as well. And we've got great partners such as Optus that sort are of working with us on that. So you'll and, actually supply uh, yes, and that's devices. Right. So. Yeah, so this is a this is a big step up, Geraldine. So we'll need the support of the Australian community. But through COVID, we were able to connect five thousand of our families, and uh, we believe it's just it's just a necessary part of education. I think we still have a mindset that it's a nice to have uh, for education, but it's it's an essential part of a child's education going forward. Um, the evidence supported to this uh, presented to this Catholic conference was that good schools had an almost three-year advantage that they could supply, particularly mm. disadvantaged children, by comparison with poor schools serving mm. those children. And in particular, the business of getting them into groups almost like a competency, that there was a general mm. competency in the school and in the families that went there. Um, and so, so this was a very clear and present invitation, I suppose, to the Australian community to think about the nature of the settings that they introduce these sorts of children into. Now, so this is a bigger, that's a bigger uh, ambition in a way than what you're proposing, is it? 
Yeah, it is, but it's related. And I think those competencies really, you know, do increasingly relate to thinking about careers education. I mean, I think that's one of those critical elements. You know, when we look at our research and talk to our students post year 12 and track their, their life course, invariably the children that have made a great transition will talk about an effective experience of careers education as being absolutely vital and yeah something that's tailored to their needs it helps them think about subject selection that gives them great work experience uh, at the same time and that's that's something else that we're working on with the commonwealth government in, in 65 schools around the country all disadvantaged schools and using the best international evidence to create a really robust careers education program that's experience-based that starts earlier in high school and and this is a challenging piece i think for any parent but it ensures that we're providing up-to-date information about labor market uh, trends and industry and that's and that's hard but it's absolutely necessary for a great career what about the schools that have received the extra gonski money reform now are you finding that that is flowing through in a tangible way or not yeah, look, we uh, we certainly see that where schools are, you know, well resourced and and well equipped. Absolutely, the difference is, is is clear in terms of their effectiveness. I think what I would say, it, it things are blurred for the last few years with COVID, and uh, you know, we just note the enormous challenges that happen in schools uh, right across the country, particularly those most affected by shutdowns and and the like, and remote learning. And this year has been a really, really tough year for our school partners in, in getting things back on track with impacts on their workforce and, you know, and and sometimes challenging student behaviours as they're coming back into into school life. So it's a it's a it's a tough time at the moment for schools and I think we're all looking forward to hopefully getting things uh, back on track uh, with uh, with education. Oh, I've just got one text message here. Um, this is a lady who's a nurse who works with some families who have so many challenges and mm. she's a single mother herself. The parents need so much support, she says. Many cannot afford technology. Many work yes. when homework is due. Many mothers themselves struggle balancing homework while they often work two jobs. School yes. uniforms are ex- uh, expensive, bus fares, etc. So do yeah. you really come in at that granular level do you is is that what's required absolutely it is it is and that's one of the elements of what we do with our financial support for families and covering uh, providing funds for those for those costs and they really do make a difference particularly now if we think about the cost of living pressures and the tough choices you know families on low income have to make between you know food and transport and education costs and it you know one of the thing that just surprises me so often when i talk to our students and particularly alumni students who've been through our program is the difference it makes to have something as simple as a school uniform that's the same as every other child. Um, what, you know, do you, what do you different. mean? Well, if you if you can't afford a uniform that that's consistent with other children in the school, um, you feel different. Does that um, happen much? Does that happen? Yeah. Much? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Very much so. And so that simple access to those things, we often think that education's free, but it's but it comes with costs um, for families, and so supporting um, you know, families that experience disadvantages is, is really important through those basic essentials of life. Uh, look, I mean, final question, really. In terms of if you were sitting in a government office now, if you were sitting in Jason Clare's, um, the Minister for Education's seat, uh, in terms of really getting some tangible outcomes that that, Im- that improve, particularly you say 70% of your kids have got parents who are unemployed, how would you advise him? 
Look, I think one of the things that uh, that is in the in in particularly in state governments uh, control that I think is an absolute game changer, um, and I speak on behalf of Smith family here, is to give you a practical example of something that works. We've got a great partnership with the South Australian Department of Education, who've created a dashboard for us using government data on student attendance, their literacy, numeracy, and and profiles of students for our 7,000 students across South Australia. Uh, with parents' consent, 95% of our parents give consent to having access to that data. What that does for our workers is understand exactly in real time what's going on for each of our families so we can intervene early in providing support and be well equipped when we have conversations uh, with those 7,000 families. That's for me, that's an absolute game changer. You know, they had to change the data sharing app to include not-for-profit and non-government organisations in that. But the amount of data inside government that can be used for social benefit and social impact, I think, is extraordinary. And, uh, you know, I think those... I'd encourage other jurisdictions, state and Commonwealth, to think about that possibility and the difference that, that can make um, in, our, in our work uh, on the ground uh, with families. OK, well, good luck. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thanks so much, Julie. Doug Taylor is the CEO of the Smith family, and uh, we'll just continue this conversation over the over the year to come about this skills acquisition in Australia. It just seems so important. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.